Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. Tonight's show is pre-recorded due to technical uh, issues here at the studio, and uh, much easier for us to do this this way. And I have a special guest today, Yitzchak Relkin, who uh, is going to tell you a little bit about what he does and how it ties into Pesach. And then we're going to go to discuss things about the Seder, uh, how to fulfill the, the particular mitzvahs of the Seder. And I have an announcement of a very important nature, which I will take up uh, probably... But let's let's uh, you know, let's wait till Mr. Relkin is finished, and then we'll take up the special announcement, very important, about uh, some problem that in the cautious world that we should know about. Okay, so without further ado, my guest Yitzchak Relkin, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon, Rabbi Wickler, and all the listeners of J Root Radio. I want to thank you for having me back again, and I want to thank all your enthusiastic listeners in the past for for very for vo- responding in great volume, helping me out with my, my Chametz Gamach. So let's hear a little bit about what is a Chametz Gamach and whether this is the only one that we know of or there's some others also. I think there are some others in Brooklyn, but I'm not sure. I know there's others in Israel. I know there's one in Lakewood. About eight years ago, I accidentally stumbled across some perfectly good food being thrown away, and, and, and it just seemed very strange to me, so I took it. I sold it with my own chametz, and then after Pesach, I gave it to a family who was not doing so well. And it just got me thinking that um, while there are many in, in the Brooklyn community who have the minhag of not selling chametz, it is permissible to sell chametz. So I, started, I, I decided that I was going to take on, on that responsibility for people. I would accept their chametz. I w- once it be, you know, when they hand it to me, it becomes my property. Then I have the responsibility of selling it, which I do. Um, and then, like I said, after Pesach, I give it away to people who who might be in some financial trouble. Well, uh, give us an idea of how much is involved. How much How much do you take in a year? Um, well, every year is different because, you know, different amounts of publicity or different amount of people hearing about it or remembering to call. Last year, I got um, just under 6,000 pounds of food. Uh, about two years ago, I got 8,500 pounds of food. And in the eight years that I've done it, I have given away 24,000 pounds of food. And that... As you can imagine, 24,000 pounds of food definitely helps uh, ease people's uh, financial burdens. Well, that's, your bain, you, that's the goal. And uh, how do people find that? First of all, you've got to tell them a little bit about how to give it to you. How, we, how do we get chametz to you? I, I handed it to you myself, <laughs> so I got the easy way. And, I, and I thank you for gonna, that package. People are going to have to take it to a facility. Where are they going to go? What are they, what's involved? Is there a telephone? And give us a little details on when you want to accept it. I mean, they can't just dump it in somewhere in the street. You have to True. be putting it in a certain place. What I would like for people to do is start by calling me, and my telephone number is 718-377- 6361. Say that again. 718-377-6361. So I accept, I'm working with non-perishables, packages that have never been opened, and just recognizable hechsters. So I prefer that they call me first so that we can set up a time, and and if they have any other specific questions about other types of food, they might want to donate. And then I have been trying to be extremely flexible in making my schedule available because I know people are extremely busy um, running around trying to get their own homes ready for Pesach. So I'm trying to be extremely flexible in accommodating that. And uh, y- your, your location is Flatbush. Yes, it is. Are, are there other places outside of the Brooklyn area that you know of? The only other person that I'm working with currently is a na- man named Gershon Berkowitz in Muncie. And he said I can give out his telephone number. So if you live in Muncie, it's 845-238-0982. And again, his name is Gershon Berkowitz. One more time with the number. 845-238-0982. And we'll give you a number again also. We've got to make sure people That's write right. it down. I, I they got a pen now, but okay. they don't live in Muncie. They live in Brooklyn. Okay, Go ahead. 718-377-6361. And, and just for a, an idea, I think everything is different every year, but about how many people do bring you comments? Is it, a, is it 20? Is it 50? 100? 500? It, what it, is it? It's definitely over 100. It's it's, 100. And it seems to be, uh, people seem to be learning about it every year, because every year people call me, and they're very grateful for the opportunity to be part of the mitzvah, and the fact that their chametz is not going to get wasted. Um, 
you know, and and even the people who are coming to pick up food, every year they 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 ask me to to thank the people who are giving, and I and I try to do that. So again, I thank all of your listeners for enthusiastically supporting supporting the Gamach. And about how many people come? Again, I I don't is keep. It, tra- is I it, don't but is it a number that's you know let's say more than twenty? Oh, definitely, most definitely. Okay. It's so we don't uh, need to know the numbers exactly. It's a lot, and yeah. what I try to do to protect everyone's privacy is I have people come one at a time and by appointment only, because I know that it can be uh, it can be difficult sometimes to to ask for for help with something as as basic as food. So I wanna I wanna protect everyone's privacy that way. Let me ask you, if you let me ask you. How early does somebody come to you every year? And you how late does somebody come <laughs> to you every year to give the stuff in? <laughs> Do you mean to drop off food? The drop off. The drop, the off. drop off, it starts basically right away at Purim. And, and as you can imagine, Purim, a lot of Sholach Manos is being given around. So immediate, initially, the, the bulk of the food that I get initially is a lot of Sholach Manos. People are very, uh, creating and giving very beautiful Sholach uh, Manos baskets. And um, and I get a lot of candy and a lot of nasherai and a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff in the beginning, and then it settles in as people are actually clearing out their pantries. You know, all the basics that you can imagine. Sometimes it's not even even pure chametz. It's a lot, you know kidneyos too. It's all again all the basics that you can imagine: flour and cereal and pasta and rice and beans and 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 baking goods and and you know anything that people want to clear out of their homes. And uh, let me ask you also. Uh, tell us a story or two. There must have been something in there this many years that that touched you, either you know from before or afterwards during you know this, the issues that come up. I mean, you can't tell us everything. We're not no, asking I, you everything. No, but and it's I, not and an anecdote. And again, I would not want to betray anyone's uh, trust. But sometimes there are people who come, and it's very obvious that they need help. Like. Like I said, and I've mentioned it recently to some to some friends. You know, their their clothing is very bedraggled, and there's the, the parts hanging off of their car <laughs> as they drive up. So it's very obvious that that some people do need help. There's another lady with that I work with in the community, and she actually helps um, uh, get food for people who are just trying to to make a seder. Because sometimes a lot of the food that comes to me is again in the shalach manos baskets. And so it's like bottles of wine that sat next to chametz, so people are afraid to use it on on Pesach. So I, you know, I will make sure that that's given to families who are just struggling to make a seder. Wow! So actually, <laughs> it's helping people before Pesach to make Pesach. Yes, wow. yes, it is. And that's and the, another half of your story about people calling early is there are people that have already called me to make appointments <laughs> to come pick up food. Wow! Because they realize that uh, sometimes they waited too long in past years and. You know, I, if, as I joke around with people, food is not a collectible. You know, I want the food to come in, and I want the food to go right back out again. So I, I, I want the food to get into the hands of the people who need it as quickly as possible that, so that it can start eating, easing their burdens as quickly as possible. And you have facility to store this, this amount. It's a tremendous amount. I'm I very mean, fortunate in that my landlord allows me to use his garage. So what I do is when the food comes in, I have to unpack it, sort it out, Rebox everything very neatly wow. and cleanly, wow. and then stack everything up, weigh it, categorize it. Because think about it: if you went into the grocery store and the cereal was next to the flour, was next to the rice, was next to the pasta, you'd never be able to find anything. So I try to organize it. Again, I realize I'm not a grocery store, but to organize it in such a fashion so that when you and I are walking down the aisles, try, or my, the aisles of my <laughs> landlord's garage, we can very easily find the food that you're looking for. Wow. So it's a it is, it is a, it's a very very time consuming uh, uh, <laughs> chesed that you're It's in. super super labor intensive because again I essentially touch every food well not literally but not the food itself but all the packages I have to look at and you know I have to double check because in the eight years that I've done it I've found maybe one or two packages that I did not see a hechsher on and they and they probably maybe we're some kind of European food because I, I know Europe handles their hachsherim and how they handle advertising kosher a little differently. So they probably were kosher, but beca- because in America we're so used to seeing hachsherim on the packages, I couldn't take the, ch- the chance and, and, and give it away to someone, you know, just in case somebody had made a mistake, you know. But. And are people careful about giving you only the clothes packages? Yes, they are, they are getting better over the years. Um, every once in a while things do come in that are open, and I, I, like I said, I prefer packages that have never been opened. Um, although you know, I mean, 
I personally do not see the problem with it, but I, I clearly understand why people would be uncomfortable with it. So I, I only work with closed packages. Beautiful. Well, it's a tremendous mitzvah, and we, we, we're go- really uh, happy to be uh, being participating in this, in this way with uh, bringing you on the show. And I see that articles being written in different places. So it is, it's a wonderful uh, chesed, and uh, I see that you put a lot of time and effort into it. And this, it's a special uh, bracha that you have that you've been helping these people, uh, some of them been a Torah, some whatever, whoever whoever's need of, needs this uh, service uh, for so many years. Let me just have those, those two numbers again, just nice and slow. So my telephone number is 718-377-6361, and the gentleman in, in Muncie is Gershon Berkowitz, and it's 845-238-0982. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, and uh, I hope that this will be year will be one of the biggest, if not the biggest year, and and that you'll be able to continue for many years to come to help people who have uh, who would like to uh, save money and and help them with their financial stress. It's a beautiful, beautiful mitzvah. Thank you so much, Rabbi Wickler, and all your listeners. Thank you. And uh, now I'm going to go on to uh, a, a topic that uh, came up. Um, which uh, I think it's important for us to note before I, I do finish with the uh, issues of the Pesach Seder. There's a, a new problem. Now, I think everybody knows that there was a big issue back a year ago or so uh, regarding uh, orange juice. And the, there was a concern that orange juice may have insects in it, we call scale. And the 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 uh, concern uh, was very serious. A lot of people who were in the industry found these scales, whether partial, full, whatever. They, f- they found the scale insect inside the orange juice. And it was a question that was brought to of David Feinstein, who was one of the Paiskim of our generation, especially in America, the person, uh, the go-to person for most Rabunim. And he paskined that the orange juice is fine. And I heard it directly from him myself. So I know that that's what he said. But there's a new issue that came up, and it really isn't new. It's just something that was, uh, uh, people became more aware of it. And so I want to make you aware of it as well. It's that some people still juice oranges. They take the orange, they, they squeeze it, and make their own juice especially in those places where they buy um, ready you know they they, they take they buy veg, they go, you go into a store and they'll take a juicer they'll grab an orange and they'll cut it put it into the juicer and the skin is still on and they're going to juice it and what's going to happen is whatever's on that skin is going to go into the the juice as well um and so if you do juice oranges, then you do have to be concerned about scale. Scale is not very hard to identify. There are brown spots, black spots on an orange. That's what scale is. And those brown spots, black spots, underneath it is a, is a little insect. So uh, that's, there's a concern. And they want, uh, people in the industry want you to know that you, you, uh, when you've, if you're going to juice oranges, then you should either buy oranges that don't have the little brown and black spots on it, or you should uh, take it off with a peeler or, um, and mince it well, and then, then you could juice the oranges. There's another thing that they're doing. They're trying to promote, and again, this is only uh, for, this, for this product here about uh, when, you, when you're actually doing the juicing yourself. There's a way you can use a, a cloth, which we call a shmata bedika cloth. It's a, it's a man-made uh, filtering cloth, and uh, you can buy it in a few different stores. It's put out, put out by Kashla Bedikim Toiloyim. You can find it in 18th Avenue and East 2nd Street at Freed's Hardware or Seconton Hardware in Williamsburg, MPGS in Lakewood, in the Monroe, I think it's Halladen Hardware. And now in Flatbush, 
Glotmart. It will be there in a day or so. So if you're interested in purchasing this to use, it, I, I think it comes with instructions exactly how to use it. I'm not going to go through all the details here. Uh, if people do uh, are concerned, don't know how to use it, then we will we'll mention it on the air, but I don't think it's necessary to do that. Uh, so either be careful when you buy the oranges if you're, if you're making your own juice or uh, make sure that you've peeled off the uh, scales and uh, be careful about that and wash it off and then you should be fine to go. Obviously, if you go into a place where they're doing a juice right in front of you, and even if you, the machinery is good, kosher and everything is kosher, everything's wonderful, um, look at the orange. <laughs> see if you see those spots. If you do, skip it. You know, the, or, uh, you, they're not going to go through this process for you. So that's the new t topic that came up. Now, I would like to go on with the many time we have. Baruch Hashem, a long time, Leon Har. We're going to be able to discuss things properly this Seder. Now, I'm not going to be... Next week, by the way, Imiyat Sashem, we will be on a regular time at 6 o'clock, and we will have Imiyat Sashem, Rabbi Nachum Rabinowitz from the OU to answer all your Kashrus questions for Pesach, all the product information. You can call in. We're going to push that people call in next week, but if you want to send questions to me, you can do that, and I will make sure that Rabbi Rabinowitz takes up those questions on the air. So you could send an email to me at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com, or you could call me at 718-336-8544 and just leave your question for Rabbi Rabinowitz, Mimetz Hashem, to be asked next week. But tonight, I want to discuss uh, an important topic, the Seder. Now, I know that everybody works very, very hard to make Pesach. And everybody fulfills the mitzvah of Bal Yeroi, Bal Yemotze, to get rid of the Chomets. Everybody is careful with Bidika and Bittul and Biur and all that. We take care of the Chomets beautifully. And people pay an arm and a leg for matzahs. I say an arm and a leg because I saw myself $49.95 a pound. $49.95 a pound for one brand of matzah in a store that I went into. A discount store. <laughs> this is a discount store. $49.95 <clears throat> per pound. Six, seven, eight, mat nine, ten matzahs, whatever it is, you figure it out yourself. Over $5 a piece for a matzah. A phenomenal price. And it's only going to go up because people still ready to pay that. Now, that said, we do the mitzvahs. We get, we're getting ready. We're doing a fantastic job. The problem is, are we fulfilling the mitzvahs of the Seder? Now, I don't want anybody to feel bad about this. You, you're trying to is wonderful, but everybody who, who spent that kind of money and who's worked so hard to make Pesach should fulfill the mitzvahs of the Seder. And the mitzvah of the Haggadah, it's very hard to mess up on because according to some, Einlehem Shior, it doesn't make any, even the smallest amount. Some people say Yotze with Kiddush and some people say you never Yotze at all because it goes on into the whole night so it never finishes. So you're continually being able to be Yotze. And you fulfill it, not with an exact two or three words, even Rabbi Gamliel's just an uh, idea that we have that you have to mention those three things, yeah, otherwise you didn't fulfill the mitzvah of the Seder, but really technically, according to many Rabbanim, even Kiddush might have created the whole, uh, because you're saying Seichel, it's Yis Mitzrayim, so we, we definitely are going, we're doing our job with this Haggadah, and you look at the Haggadahs from the children, and, and you see uh, people read the whole Haggadah, it's it's not shayach that a person goes to a say that's not fulfilling the mitzvah of I can't believe that. Everybody's yot say that. What comes up is maror and matzah. These are and arbakosis. These are three very hard mitzvahs to do. I like to talk about the mitzvahs of, of Purim and how hard they are to accomplish. But I think the mitzvahs of the seder are probably harder than well, probably harder than, than the mitzvahs of Purim, and more important because we're dealing with some derises here. 
So let's go through one at a time on the simple level, and then we're going to go a little more deeply into it. First, I want to just f talk about how you fulfill the mitzvahs, and then we're going to go, with the time allowing, we're going to go more deeply into some of the interesting aspects of the mitzvah. Let's start with the mitzvah of matzah. Now, everybody knows that it's some kind of a, a race. You know, it's a, like a marathon. You, you're, in the, you're in the Seder. We've got to get to, first of all, the time. Some people start eating the matzah too late. So if, you go, if you're starting to eat your matzah uh, after chatzos, uh, you probably did not fulfill the mitzvah, at least according to, you know, to the teshitas you have to eat before chatzos. Um, some people try to finish the whole seder by chatzos, or they do what they the tenai that they make conditional. They eat a piece of matzah. Said this is uh, for the for the afikomen. If I don't finish in time, and if I do, then the afikomen is the last one I eat. Whatever it is, they're trying to fill the mitzvah. Because according to some rashbam, the uh, the the, the is the ikar mitzvah of the matzah. According to some, it's the first eating of the matzah. And there's a problem which one is the uh, which one of the two matzahs is the one you have to eat from. And therefore, we try to eat a kazayas from each one, but there's not enough for everybody at the table, so we give pieces to everybody at the table. And altogether, you try to eat what they call a double kazayas, which is a large amount, and you have to eat it in a short period of time. Mother Moshe says three, four minutes. So here we are trying to eat a gigantic piece of matzah, which I have in my book. And the conscious magazines have the, uh, the, the 5,778 2018 Passover guide on page um, 40, I'm sorry, page 50, 51 actually. Page 50 and 51, we have the discussion of the sizes based upon Rev. David Feinstein in the mid base Medjish Lahore, where he, where he gave these rules out, and I printed it for 30-something years already. And then, the, uh, and then we have actually colorful boxes for you to see the size of what you have to use for matzah. Um, the amount of matzah that's needed for, uh, for, the, for eating, the, eating the matzah right after the hamotzi and the alachilas uh, matzah uh, is, let's see, which one is that? It's seven inches by six and three-eighths inches. And we have a nice red box to display that. Some people with the, 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 with the hand matzahs, they say half a matzah. Some people may say less, maybe say more. You know, it depends on how thin the matzah is and how thick it is. So you should try to get, if you can, at least for one time, let's say the first, mitz the first eating of the matzah, something that's about a half of a, of a large matzah, the round matzahs, or the seven inch by six and three eighth inches on your machine matzahs. And that should be enough, let's say, to fulfill the mitzvah of matzah. Now we have to eat it in three or four minutes. So somebody is 87 and somebody is seven years old and somebody's just 12 and 13, the bar mitzvah and bas mitzvah, and somebody's not feeling 100%. Now, how can they all be able to eat this volume of, ma ma of matzah in such a short period of time? Matzah is very dry. So my Rebbe said, and by the way, it's based on the Gemara too. I mean, the Gemara clearly says that the Gabrok should be good, but it, there's a different Minhagim, and I don't want to take anything away from people with Minhagim, but my Rebbe was a Roshazim, and in the, it was a Litvish, it wasn't the Hasidish. So we, didn't, we weren't Makhbet on um, on Gebrachts, and he said that you could dip the matzah in water or you could drink water with it and that would be fine and especially somebody who's finding it is very dry he's young, he's old he's hard, he's sick with it. whatever it is you got to try to get that matzah down in 3 to 4 minutes the 3 to 4 minutes starts from the time you swallow so <laughs> if you have a false start you swallow a little bit already and then you had a break because you coughed or something okay so maybe you'll start all over again and take a drop more and then you'll have your full kazayas but you try to get it into three or four minutes that's the best you could do and the person has to try to do it there's no question that most people are not necessarily fulfilling this mitzvah or let's say not most 
a nice chunk of people are not really fulfilling this mitzvah with all of the hidurim that I just mentioned. Maybe they're yotze according to certain shittas. Maybe they're not completely yotze. Maybe they're not yotze at all. So the problem comes up, they're making a bracha of alakilas matzah. So my Rebbe, Rav Rasha Zim in Zatzal, taught us that the, the husband should make the bracha. And the wife and the children maybe should skip the bracha. Unless they're going to be able to do the mitzvah. In my house, we, 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 we told them all to do the, to do the bracha. But if you would have somebody that would be sick or weak or too young or whatever it was that wouldn't really do the mitzvah properly, maybe it's better to train them to answer a main to your bracha. And then they'll eat. And they'll do the best they can. And according to some shittas, they hold your yotze, not your yotze, that you're fulfilling a mitzvah even if you don't complete the mitzvah. But you're involved in fulfilling the mitzvah. Just like it says by a nevera, it says that if a person does a, a little bit of a nevera, it's, it, it's chazi let's the rufe. So if you can't eat a whole piece of chazir, a whole kazais of chazir one shot, you nibble it. So too the mitzvah. You're involved in the mitzvah. Maybe you don't complete it, but at least you're involved in it. But as far as the bracha goes, it should only be made if you think you're going to be able to fulfill the mitzvah properly. So our advice is chew, dunk it into water if you hold you can, or drink it with water if you hold you can, and uh, make sure that you fulfill eating the size that they give you, even if it looks big, in the amount of three, four minutes. Don't go crazy. Try your best. Remember, it may be we maybe have a little bit larger size than is required. Maybe the three or four minutes can be, could be extended. It may be as much as nine or 11 minutes. So, you know, we, we, we're shooting for, to be outside all these sheetas, and we may not fulfill all of them. We do the best we can. That's the mitzvah of matzah. Personally, I advise using the hand matzah for the seder because of the mitzvah, of the, because the Indian of of, of doing it L'Shem Matzah's Mitzvah. When you push a button L'Shem Matzah's Mitzvah, it's not the same thing as actually doing all the work for the Mitzvah of Matzah. So even though it may be very kosher, the machine Matzah's, I'm not, not questioning that. We buy machine Matzah's also. But as far as the Mitzvah of Matzah, it's better to do, I think, the hand Matzah because then you then you know that it was all the activities were done for the purpose by hand by person a real human human <laughs> involved human uh, matzahs as opposed to machine matzahs and that's the way you know many people conduct themselves and even if they don't eat uh, machine matzahs the whole pace also you know, the plus is that all the machine all the hand matzahs are shmura matzah not all the machine matzahs are shmura matzah so it's you got a, you got a lot of things going for you if you do that. Uh, but try to err on the side of a little more matzah than you think you really need because first of all some of it ends up on your lap now another big feature here is reclining for the men I would say in my little limited life experience I would say that not everybody is Yotze the mitzvah of Mesubin everybody says it you know, Kulanu Mesubin, we all reclining this night. Everybody says it in the four questions, but I don't see it all the time at the Seder. A lot of people's concept of leaning is something, uh, I, I don't know where they're getting it from, or who, who trained them. I feel very sorry about that. That's something that I think is, uh, is also separates the men from the boys. Uh, one of the things that uh, I mean, I'm not going to be able to describe it properly over the over the uh, radio, and I definitely don't know uh, that I have the answer to all of the you know that I am the only one privy to the secret information of how to do a saber. There's no question if you had a couch and you're lying down, and you're doing a saber, you're doing really reclining. That's that's no brainer. But there aren't too many people who can come to a couch to the t- to the table. It doesn't work for our way of eating, and doesn't work for a large family. And we can't have all these couches there. So there are tricks. Basically, uh, you could lean uh, on a chair 
on the arm of the chair, or I, what I do very often is have in the arm of a different chair. I, I was I, the back of a different chair. I, I drape my arm over the back of a chair, and this way, if you can get down low enough, it's leaning. But uh, it was pointed out to me that it's important to have that you lean your head on either your arm or a pillow. And so what we try to do is have a pillow on the arm, which is leaning over a chair, and or the armrest, and that that way we're filling the uh, the leaning to the left in a very serious way. Uh, but when you eat that way, <laughs> drink that way, you got to be careful that the food doesn't end up in your lap or on the floor. In which case, you could start out with a big matzah and end up with a little or non-existent mitzvah. <laughs> so the food has to go into your mouth, not just be on the plate. That this is all a little background information in the, in the performance of that particular mitzvah, which is uh, so important, the mitzvah of matzah. And uh, you have to have the three times, Yikairach, and the regular mitzvah of matzah in the beginning, and the afikomen. The afikomen needs the same large size that we mentioned for the... Uh, for the first part, for the first mitzvah of Achilles Matzah, but the Kairach is a half size on that. It's a Zecher Ba'alma, it's a Zecher, it's a Zecher Mitzvah Hillel, and basically uh, it's more of a Minag than anything else, and, and so therefore we don't have to have the full size. The big problem is the Moro, but I'm going to get to that last, and the next issue is the Four Cups. Now the Four Cups are uh, very, very interesting how to fulfill the mitzvah of the four cups. Again, the men have to recline, but, uh, uh, but aside from that, you have to drink in a special way. And before that, I just want to take one moment and tell you what it says in my book on page 31, uh, the, the kosher, uh, kosher supervision guide, the uh, Passover guide, uh, this is something that somebody brought up to me, and I'm going to mention here on the radio, and I uh, hope to print it next year if I remember, and that is that Rav David Feinstein has been quoted as saying that you should have at least 5% alcohol. Uh, if you'll see on page 31, Kedem gave out to us the Kals, Concord Kals 3.5, Matuk, 4.0 is 4% alcohol. The, according to Rav David Feinstein, and basically based on Rav Moshe Feinstein's sheet that you have to have not just the Arba Kaisais, which is the, the requirement, but it also should be and Cheirus and Rav Moshe had to have a little uh, kick to it. And less than 5%, uh, Rav David says, is not going to produce that little uh, feeling of light, uh, you know, that, that what the alcohol gives you to make you a little besimcha uh, and feel cheres, feel free that you're a special people, etc. So he feels a 5% is the cutoff, even though Kedem is making 3.5 and 4.0. So that's a, a question that we're trying to mention. Maybe next year we'll mention uh, a psak from Abdubbad in the magazine. I hope to do that. I made myself a note. Somebody came to me this year, but as far as the uh, as far as it goes, you should really read that article that we had starting on page twenty-eight to thirty. It discusses you know how to fulfill the mitzvah and the 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 the, the sugar and the water that's added and the cooked wine, mavushal, not mavushal. All that's very very important, and I'm not going to be able to go through it now. I'm just going to zero in on the idea that you have to drink whatever you put into that cup whether it's a full-fledged wine or it's something else or even a grape juice, whatever you're putting into that cup, how do you fulfill the mitzvah of drinking that cup? So it's not very difficult. The first thing is the size of the cup. The, according to Rav David Feinstein, again, this I, maybe I should verify it again. I, I, I haven't done it in all these years, but this is something that was put out by him years ago. It says over here, you should be shooting for 4.42 fluid ounces, which is four and a half ounces, okay? And uh, there is a mention here of a small number, but I'm going to use, use that number, four and a half ounces. That should be the size of the cup. Obviously, you're probably getting a five-ounce cup or something, whatever it is, the becher. Uh, most of all, bechers and things like that today are much bigger. Now, that's good. sounds good. 
if a four and a half is good, and by the way, the Chazanisha has five ounces or five and a half ounces, so so sure, if, if four and a half ounces is good, then certainly six ounces or seven ounces is good, except for one thing. You have to drink the majority of that cup all four times. The last time you're supposed to drink the whole cup, but the first, but at least you must drink the half of the more than half the cup. So that if you get a big, big cup, you're going to do a lot of drinking. Somebody has a giant Elio Anavi Becher, and it looks cute, but he's not supposed to just take a drink from it. He has to drink half of it. It's a lot. So it's advisable to get something that's smaller a five, six, seven ounce thing, whatever you want like that, and uh, realize you're going to have to drink a significant amount. It's good to finish all of them completely, but here's the trick that most of our people don't know. And this is one that really separates uh, not just the men from the boys, the girls from the women, and, and anybody from everybody else. So it's really a, a crucial thing. We have to drink that in two or three sips. Whatever you're drinking, whether it's the it's the whole half of it of a, of the becher, or it's uh, you know the it's the four point four two whatever you're doing, whatever you're drinking to fulfill that mitzvah of the of the arba koisos, you have to do it in two or three sips. I didn't make this up; some rabbi didn't pick it out of a hat. And the two and three is not uh, something because we're not sure. It says it in the Gemara that in two sips or three sips because two sips is the proper way to drink something. Three sips is being very fancy. One sip is being a, like a glutton or you just, you know, just putting it, you know, throwing it down your throat. But doing it slowly is not the way we drink. Now, I'm not talking about an ice cold soda and a hot tea. You can't drink that way. You go slower. And, that's, and you have a problem with a bracha chrona because that's not really fully drinking. That's like sipping with a straw. It's not a real drink. A drink you finish in two or three sips, the, uh, you know, the, uh, a good few ounces you finish in two or three sips. That's the way we drink when something is uh, not too hot, not too cold, and we want to drink. You see somebody finish off, sometimes they finish a whole glass of water in one shot. Again, we said it's not really the right way to drink. But certainly, they run a drink, they're going to drink. It's not going to be just a little dibble, you know, a little touch. They're not just going to be taking like, a, like, like in a straw. They're going to be swallowing that cup of whatever it is. So the same thing should be for the Seder. We've got to be very careful. And, and for the bracha, you have to understand that if a person drinks a hot, hot drink or a cold, cold drink, they do not make a bracha chrona. This is what Rav David Feinstein saying this way. He told me that for sure, that the, you, ca- you cannot say a bracha chrona if you didn't have it in two or three sips, the amount that requires a bracha chrona. So let's say four and a half ounces requires a bracha chrona. So you have to have that in two or three sips. In regular drinking, it's easy to do, especially when you're thirsty. It's easy to do it in two sips or three sips. No question. No pressure. It, it, much more than that you could drink it two or three sips and, and the gulping oh, oh, that's all one sip so it's, you, you really, it isn't a hard thing to do except when it's hot or it's cold and if it's you know, something like a wine and especially a very alcoholic wine people will tend to sip it especially women and this is something that you should get under control and the way to do that is to take something that's not too hard for you to drink so that's one of the reasons that the lighter beverages are better for the mitzvah of the arbakosis. And this brings us now to the main topic I wanted to discuss today, which is moror. And moror is a big question mark. It's a most interesting thing. I spent a lot of time on it looking into this year. I'm going to share with you a few of the things that I spotted but it's extraordinary, and if it's worth your studying it. It's not a simple matter. Let, let's just tell you that the main things that we're allowed to use today are horseradish and l- lettuce. Which lettuce? Romaine lettuce, iceberg lettuce? We'll get to that in a second, hopefully. But definitely the things that we have to use today are only those two. 
end dies, my Rebbe Rav Zimmerman told us that no longer can have the chazaka that the what we call end dives or end dives. They've changed the meaning of the word. A lot of words were uh, adapted to fit certain uh, vegetables when the new countries you'd come into. They would take a word from of old and say, "Oh, this is the this," but it may not have been, may not be the same vegetable, and that's what happened with endives. He said endives is not the original endives. In any event, let's start from the square one and go as far as we can. I'm not sure we'll be able to finish it before the time is up. In the Gemara, in the Mishnah actually, it mentions five things which can be used for maror. Just five things are used. And let's see if I can find the list here. Uh, Should be right here. It should be right here. <laughs> I have to find that. But the, the, the two most common ones are the ones that I just mentioned, the lettuce and the, uh, and the horseradish. But in the Gemara, in the Mishnah, it doesn't say horseradish and lettuce. It uses the words that they had in those days. And I'm just going to try to get it because it would have been so much easier if I could find it here. And... So far, I'm missing it. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, let's go. Uh, here it is somewhere. Uh, yeah, here it is. Chazeres is the Lushan of the Mishnah, which means, uh, which means lettuce. And Tamcho is the one that means horseradish. And... Uh, the word Hindavi is the um, Ulshin, is the one that people were translating as endives. And the others I don't have right here, but I probably would find it if I looked a little harder. In any event, is horseradish acceptable? <laughs> I know that sounds funny to anybody who's been using it their whole life, but there's a big question mark on, on that. And is, is lettuce acceptable? And that's a big question mark on that. And according to the Chazanish, and not just the Chazanish, but also, let me see if I have the other name, the name here too. This is the second name. Yeah. The Chazanish, by the way, I found where Chazanish is. It's in Orachayim Kuf Chaf Dalit. So if you look up that one, that's good. And also the Ridvaz. They hold that you have to have bitterness, at least some bitterness. By the way, the word bitterness, this is, this is cute. Many people don't get this point. They're talking about horseradish is bitter. It's not a bitter herbs. That's not the bitter herbs. Horseradish is sharp, like harif. Harif and mar are two different things. Maror is mar, it's bitter. <laughs> horseradish is harif, it's sharp. It's not bitter. It's really interesting when you think about it. I never thought of it until I read these articles here. But it's very, very interesting that we really uh, are, you know, not on such great uh, a basis over here. The big problem with the horseradish is the fact that it's a root. And in terms of the root, it was a very big question whether root could be used. You're allowed to use the, um, you're allowed to use the, uh, the leaves or the stem. That's what it says in the Gemara in, Psochim, Daf Lamet Tesemet Aleph, leaves or the stem. But the question is, can you use the root? In the Gemara, in Shulchan Aruch, in Taf Samech Gimel Sif Hey, it says that you shouldn't use the root. And with the horseradish, they're saying that the root is really an extension of the stem. <laughs> so that's how we're sort of getting around that one. But we call it a root. And one of the reasons why this gets so complicated is because, and I know this sounds funny to anybody living in 2018, in the old days, they didn't have all these vegetables. In many of the communities, you couldn't get these things. I remember Rabbi Brodsky, Rabbi Shamshim Brodsky, 
Zatzal. It was Rosh Yeshiva by us in, 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 in Yeshiva Birkas Ruvain. We had a yeshiva for tw- 19 years, Baruch Hashem. We're very good uh, Talmidim. <laughs> I keep uh, running into a former Talmidim, Baruch Hashem, David Matzliach. It was a wonderful experience for me personally. Unfortunately, it doesn't exist anymore. And uh, we're doing other things, giving my own shiurim and, and running the Kashos magazine. But in those days, we had, Baruch Hashem, a wonderful group. And uh, one of the things that we, that we see here is that, you know, that... Uh, that it's very hard to fulfill exactly these things because you didn't have them available. In the old days, they just weren't available. We didn't have, in all these communities, spring vegetables, you know, with, with the leafy vegetables. In some countries, they didn't have that. They had needed the root vegetables. So that's why they grabbed a hold of these different things. They grabbed a hold of them, and they said, this is also good. And obviously, there were Paiskim that said it's good. No question. You're making a bracha on it. No question. Everybody's making brachas on on the alchilas maror. No question about it. But do we really have it? Nobody knows for sure. My Rebbe, Rav Hashem in Zatzal, used to teach us to try to eat both the horseradish and the, the romaine lettuce. That's what we do, believe me. We try to do both. Now, I have a big problem with eating horseradish as as it is. I remember the Shver Lava Shalom with goggles on, grinding the horseradish. Today you put it into a little machine. You gotta still be careful, you don't hurt your eyes. But uh, it doesn't take so much, it's not so much effort anymore as it was in the good old days. But whatever it is, the horseradish, when it's finished, it's potent and very, very hard to eat. So it's recommended to keep it uncovered for a certain amount of time. That amount of time is the difference. For me personally, I try to leave it off a lot. Uh, I, have, I have a son, at least one, I don't know what the others do, <laughs> who, who barely takes it off for, for a little while. How he eats that, I don't know. I don't know if it's really called a chila. I don't know what he's doing. But I know that the food, dis- I know the horse rash disappears and it didn't, go, it didn't go to waste. It was going into him somehow. How he did it, I don't know. But what we do is uh, we, we, you know, we leave it uncovered as much as we could possibly do because uh, I find it absolutely unbearable to eat without uncovering a significant amount of time. That's what some people say to do. Um, Rav Moshe Sternbach from the Chuvas Humanhagos, this is current, the current rabbi, so he says, I'm gonna, he says, uh, he asks, where is it stated that horseradish must be eaten when it's so bitter that one will almost not be able to keep it down in the system. He said it the other way, but I'm not going to say it here. <laughs> he suggests, after grinding the horseradish, that one should leave it uncovered for several hours so that it loses most of its bitterness and becomes edible. He's saying that if you're forcing yourself to eat something that you never would eat in a, a million years, except for you're trying to do a mitzvah, that's not a chila. That's some kind of, uh, I don't know, is that some kind of uh, suffering that you made yourself do? That's not what you're supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is be at the Seder and enjoy it and, 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 and fulfill the mitzvah and eat normal foods. And it, it, yes, the bitterness, but it doesn't say it's a, a bit of a got, big, big, like got gall. It's not something that you can't possibly get down. So he suggests, and anyway, it isn't even bitter. Like I said, it's sharp. So therefore, he says, and we don't, don't lose it too much. It shouldn't completely lose its uh, sharpness. Because actually, I don't know if you know it, but because most people don't ever finish the, the horseradish, I do eat it later on. And it does lose its bitterness completely, or sharpness completely, after a certain amount of time. And you, it tastes like nothing. No, no significant taste. A day or two later, if you, if you left it uncovered, it's really very, very, very bland. So, yes, you need some zip to it, but it doesn't have to knock you out. So think about that one where you're preparing. And then we have a separate thing with the, with the uh, romaine lettuce, which we make. Uh, in, and we do, for us, we find easiest is to make it into little bags. Put the, all the romaine lettuce into bags. A lot of people at the Seder 
going to have a lot of little bags, but it saves a lot of time. And you just hand out bags to people, give them two bags, one for Mora, one for Kairach, and they'll put together the sandwich themselves. It saves a lot of time. And also, by the way, if you can, cut the, break the matzahs into, into sizes that you, where people have to have in order to fulfill the mitzvah of, of matzah, that would save a lot of time. After the Natil Sedayim, it takes forever unless you, uh, in, in, unless you prepared a little bit before. So it's good to make those, you can make it even before Yom Tov, any time you want. Uh, I, while I'm mentioning it, I, I didn't finish yet with my Mara. <laughs> Hold on, I didn't finish Mara yet. But one thing I do want to point out, this year is, the first night is Shabbos. And all of the things of the Seder must be prepared before Shabbos. Salt water, the charoises, and of course, if you're going to roast the, or something or other for the, uh, for the Zeroya, so you'd better make sure to do that before Shabbos. Because there's no way to prepare these things for the Seder if you, if you waited too long. Those, those are the things uh, that you should be thinking about. Uh, yeah. So now we're going back to our topic here of the of the morrow. and I'm going to share with you a few thoughts that people put forth. Now there's an article by Rabbi Dr. Ari Zivatovsky. It's available on the OU.org website, and uh, it was it was originally printed in the uh, in the OU publication. Uh, which is uh, Jewish Action in 2006. And it's a very interesting article. And the other articles, I mean, it's not like a three or third article, but I don't have the name on the other one. I don't remember what it is. But the, one of the articles that I have is, is from uh, Rabbi Spitz, from, uh, who, who, who was associated with uh, uh, the uh, uh, Asia, no, not Asia, from... Uh, from uh, he, he's associated, I'll, I'll get it together here, maybe I'll remember in a minute where he's from, but uh, he, he's, uh, he has a lot of uh, stuff on the web, uh, by Spitz, S-P-I-T-Z, you'll see his article also is wonderful on the topic of Mora. In any event, we're going back here, uh, here are the five words, Chazeres, Ulshin, Tamcho, Charchavina, and Mora. Interesting, it was called Mora. Uh, so we, we, we use the, the Chazeres, we are uh, claiming that the Chazeres is the uh, is lettuce. And that's first, it comes before Ulshin, which would be uh, the, en- the endives, if, if they were really endives today, and Tomcha, which is horseradish according to us today. So earlier in that is Chazeres, and that's why the, uh, the, uh, the lettuce might be even better. Personally, I start with the with the with the horseradish. I make a good effort. <laughs> I don't know if I fulfill it all the, every year. I hope that the more the, the the lettuce is correct because that's what I end up eating without any difficulty. So I can't tell you. Um, it, some people, you know, technically, they wouldn't detract from each other if you ate them. You know, if you put both on the on the karach. But since it's not clear which one you're fulfilling. I don't think it's such a great idea to mix them. Um, but again, my Rebbe held that uh, the horseradish should be the one that you prefer to take first. Uh, and, when you, and if you go through these different articles, you see that maybe the lettuce is more preferable. And in reality, nobody knows which the eager one is. So let me share with you now um, a, f- a few points that Rabbi Zivotovsky made who, by the way, is a, an excellent writer on all uh, interesting scientific halakha uh, topics. Um, He's he not always saying the same thing everybody else says, but he's a very, very interesting gentleman and, and worth reading everything he says. Now, the question comes up about the, uh, the lettuce. So in modern Hebrew, horseradish is armoratia rustikanal, Mistakana, and it's called chazeres. Um, in the tamcha, is the third item. It's uh, it's it's often translated in rabbinic literature as horseradish. They actually use that word there. You know, I mean, what we call uh, horseradish. But it's unlikely, he says, that horseradish existed 
in the Middle East in the Talmudic period. You hear that? It may not have existed when the Jews were performing this mitzvah in the old days. Furthermore, horseradish is sharp rather than bitter, which of course is a very interesting thing. Uh, he has a footnote on that. Uh, he says, the Talmud uses the word mar for bitter and kharif for sharp, which is what I told you. Okay. Um, that horseradish is first mentioned in rabbinic literature by Rabbi Eliezer ben Natan of Mainz, who lived from 1090 to 1170, and the Rokeach, who lived uh, in Worms uh, in uh, 1165 to 1230, both of whom refer to it not as maror, but as an ingredient in charoses. <laughs> but they, that's, uh, that's where it first got mentioned. So it's, it's very interesting about this horseradish. Uh, now we went through that part. Let's go on here. Now, Kitzah Shulchan Aruch. And that's the current, that's, that's pretty late, either 1804 to 1886. The Kitzah Shulchan bemoaned this situation and advocated using lettuce when possible because he said that in Eastern Europe, the Jews in Eastern Europe, uh, they didn't have the, the leafy vegetables. That's why they were using the, the, uh, the, the horseradish. Rav Tzvi Ashkenazi, the Chazcham the, the Tzvi, wrote a wonderful summary of this topic. He explains that horseradish came to be used for moror either because lettuce was not available in cold climates or because those dwelling far from Israel lost the ability to identify the correct species of lettuce. lettuce. And I, you should know that there are people who use iceberg lettuce. Rav Aaron Kutlizatzal used iceberg lettuce, and others also used iceberg lettuce and not romaine lettuce. We, most of us, are using the romaine lettuce. So now, if it's the wrong type, there's a big question, especially since we don't have today a bitterness in our romaine lettuce, which led me to that discussion I had here on the show uh, a few weeks ago, suggesting that the the uh, people who are making romaine lettuce for Pesach with their all the hashkochas and their pre-checked and whatever they claim it is, right? That maybe they should consider making a bitter one, because they they can probably get a variety even of romaine lettuce that has a certain tinge of bitterness in it. And I was jokingly saying that maybe we should have two varieties the one that has a little bitterness and the one that's very bitter so that people should feel that they're doing it l'chumra and that with some people <laughs> will look down on the others who are using only minimally bitter herbs but they're using the real 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 bitter herbs so that's what i think was i mean that's a joke of course but um where does this come from this, the, the, it says that the Ridvaz in his commentary to Yushalmi and the Chazonish, which I mentioned earlier in Kuf Chaf Dalid in Orachayim, they hold that the Mora must contain some bitterness. Therefore, the Romaine lettuce would seemingly be uh, would seemingly be the preference, uh, preferred choice for Mora. I suppose some hold it has a little bitterness. I don't ever taste it. Uh, but uh, the problem came up, and this is what Rabbi Spitz talks about, was the infestation. And that's what kept many of us in a lot of problems over the years. We really felt Romain lettuce was correct, and some people couldn't handle the horseradish. And therefore, we really started to go looking at the romaine, but the romaine had to get the bugs out. And the romaine is filled with bugs. And uh, th those companies that are that are selling you romaine lettuce that have been so-called so in, you know, in the packages claiming that they're bug-free, what they've done is they, they did a very good cleaning with the water and hopefully they got it out. I don't know if they did, but they definitely tried to and uh, that's what so many people use. And uh, if you check your own, you check your own and th then you have to deal with the question 
of how you're checking it. As it was done properly, do you know what you're looking for? Have you ever seen a bug? Do you know how to find tiny ones? They're very small ones sometimes. They're camouflaged because of their color is very close to the lettuce color. You got to turn both sides, look over the light box. It's a real avoider. And I don't think many people who are listening to this know how to properly check their lettuce. Even though they claim that they check it every year, they probably don't have enough experience to do it properly. So these are the the background issues to some of the aspects of uh, the moror for the seder when you're using lettuce and we discussed the horseradish, we discussed the other things today and uh, this is uh, an, a little wrap up. If you want to see the whole seder, I have in my guide the entire Seder, everything you have to know, how to perform it. I use it myself. I take it out, keep it on the table, and we, uh, we can use it at the table the, at the Seder. That's what we do. And uh, I, this is uh, next week in Yatsa Hashem. We hope to be able to have with us Rabbi Nochem Rabinowitz from the OU to answer all your questions about products. Anything you want to ask, you can call in next week. We're going to try very hard to get some calls, but you can send us questions. It makes it a little easier. You could send your questions to Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com, or you can call us at 718-336-8544 and give us your question. If you're interested in getting the magazine, I can get it to you very quickly. And uh, until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, for Kashrus on the Air. <laughs>